Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Faith Community. We're so glad you're here. Our scripture for today is found in Galatians chapter 5, so I would uh, humbly ask that you find that in your Bible or on your Bible app or whatever other device you have, and uh, please try to follow along uh, with us this morning. I just have a a little bit of a warm-up exercise. I think every time we get together like this, sometimes, uh, more than others, we need an icebreaker, something to just get our minds in gear. So I have three rapid-fire questions I want to ask. I don't want any audible responses. Don't anybody answer out loud. But everybody answer in your head. Everybody get an answer to these questions real quickly, and it shouldn't take you long. Question number one, what is something, something that makes you angry or terribly frustrated? Something. That makes you angry or terribly frustrated. How many of you have ever been angry or terribly frustrated in life? Oh, you couldn't find a Bible app, but you identified with that pretty quick. Uh, Question number two, what would you do if you could change any one thing in your life? Any one thing in your life. And question three, what would you do if you knew you could not fail? So, what is something that makes you angry or terribly frustrated? What would you do if you could change any one thing in your life? Or what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? Okay, now turn to somebody and say, and then let them say to you, be patient God isn't finished with me yet. So a message on this whole theme this morning, simply titled, What Not to Pray, or What Not to Pray For, if you want to use bad grammar, but What Not to Pray. Um, I, I think that for some of you, Galatians chapter 5 is probably a familiar chapter, or I hope it is, of Scripture, and you know kind of what the, the main message is there. But just in case you've forgotten, or for the sake of those who might be new getting there, and I hope you found Galatians 5 by now, if you're not familiar with getting around the Bible. Sometimes we take an awful lot for granted, so I, I want to make sure that I'm giving you time to get there. But we get a look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. I'm not really preaching on the fruit of the Spirit as such as the cluster, but I just want, us to, I just want to pick out one part of this as is presented by the Apostle Paul. He tells us that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will evidence the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And so in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, we read these words. But the Spirit produces the fruit of, say those with me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And there's no law that says these things are wrong. And in the, the message, I like the way it's put, it says legalism won't help you one bit to bring about these things. And, and, um, and so he tells us that when the Spirit of God is at work in our lives, that the fruit 
of the Spirit, uh, that will come out in our lives. And the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, so we come back, and we will come back another time, hopefully, and look at those first three because they're very interesting, love, joy, and peace. But for this morning, we're going to look at patience. Personally, I cannot think of a virtue that is more desperately needed or harder to produce in our lives than patience. And I know some of you are sitting there saying, come on, come on, come on, hurry up, hurry up, get on with it. I want patience, and I want it right now. I don't know how many of you, if any, remember the music machine. Well, if you don't know the music machine, okay, I got three in here. If you don't know the music machine, it's time for you to meet Herbert the Snail. Let's play that video. There was a snail called Herbert who was so very slow. He caused a lot of traffic jams wherever he would go. The ants were always getting mad and the beetles, they would fume. But Herb would always poke along and sing this little tune. Have patience, have patience. Don't be in such a hurry when you get impatient. Start to worry. Remember, remember that God is patient too. And think of all the times when others have to wait for you. When Herbert was much younger, he often got in trouble. Forgetting that he was a snail, he did things on the double. He'd crash through every spider web, and with crickets he'd collide. Till one day Herbert's father took his feeling son aside. Have patience, have patience. Don't be inside to hurry. so much from a snail, did you? Thank you for listening. Stories told of a young Christian who went to see a seasoned Christian, an older man, and he was asking for help. And the, the older gentleman said, well, I, I'll, I'll help you. How can I help you? And the young man said, would you please pray for me? Certainly. 
that I may be more patient. And so the older gentleman said, well, let's, let's pray together. So they knelt together, and the older man began to pray, and he prayed something of this nature. Lord, send this young man tribulation in the morning. Send this young man tribulation in the afternoon. And Lord, send this young man tribulation. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. The young Christian blurred out. No, no, no. I didn't ask you to pray for tribulation. I wanted you to pray for patience. Ah, responded the wise old Christian. Son, it's through tribulation that we learn patience. And if you can take time to turn now, or at least get it in your notes, Romans 5, 3 says, we glory, Paul says, we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. And if that's so, maybe we ought to begin by asking the question, what then, what is patience? And I'm glad you asked, and I want to suggest a few definitions for you. All are good, some are better, and then I have my favorite which I'm sure rapidly will become your favorite. First, patience is self-restraint, which does not hastily retaliate against a wrong. Okay, have you tuned me out yet? That's pretty good, isn't it? Well, let me ask you another way. When you someone does you wrong, how do you respond? Uh, this this definition might cut, be coming clearer to you now. Do you respond with patience or do you respond with anger? Here, here's another definition. Patience is the ability to accept delay or disappointment graciously. How do you deal with delay or disappointment? Oh, they said... They said we were supposed to be here at such and such a time, and I was there, and nobody was there, and the office was closed, and I couldn't get through to anybody, and I called the number, and all I got was an answering machine. And now I know for some people this is really, really tough. Yet patience is the ability to accept it without becoming unglued and upset and thinking that this is definitely the day the world will end. Here's another definition. Patience is the powerful attribute that enables a man or a woman, a person to... And, and, and if you think about this, this, this is powerful too, to remain steadfast under strain and continue pressing on. I guess everybody can identify with being under strain, or today we call it our favorite word, stress. And maybe that's where some of you are this morning. And I say maybe because I want to be really kind to the whole general audience, but having, no, having known many of you and know where many of you are and things you've been going through and are going through and are facing and are trying to decide on, I know that this is a spot where this catches you this morning. And I'll just, I'll just put it into one general statement. Maybe you're the one dealing with some difficult circumstance. And you're not quite sure to turn left, to turn right, to go straight ahead, to stop, to start, to wait, to move. You're just not sure what to do. Perhaps it's in the raising of a child and you've got some issues before you. And somebody's got to take, uh, 
take control of those issues and you're just struggling with that. Maybe you are caring for aging parents. And let me just put a word in here. If you are, God bless you. And God will bless you. And God will honor you for caring for an aging parent or aging parents. Or maybe you have a loved one who was ill and, and you spent long hours either at the hospital or the nursing home or somewhere in between. And by now you're weary but patience is that quality within your character that will say, you know what, this too will pass. It's, it's almost over, and I can keep on keeping on. And I can keep doing what I need to keep doing. And I can stay the course because God is with me. Now here's my favorite definition of patience as we look at it this morning. Patience is a calm endurance based on the certain knowledge that God is in control. I love the story that's told of an artist who went to visit an old friend and hadn't seen for quite a while. And when he arrived, the, she, the lady was weeping. She was very upset, very distraught. And he asked her why she was in this, this state. And she showed him a very beautiful handkerchief that had great sentimental value, but which, had been, but which had been ruined by a spot of indelible ink. And the artist asked her to let him have the handkerchief, and he returned it to her by mail a few days later. And when she opened the package, she could hardly believe her eyes. The artist, using the ink blot as a base, had drawn on the handkerchief a design of great beauty. And now it was more beautiful, and I think it's safe to say more valuable than it had ever been. Friends, sometimes the tragedies that break our hearts can become the basis for a more beautiful design in our lives. Some of you have experienced tragedy up close. Some of you have seen it. Uh, closer than you want to see it, even in recent days and weeks. Let me say that those things like that, that take you down and break your heart, can become the basis for a more beautiful design in your life. But we need to learn to be patient with the hurts over which we have no control. In God's hands, those things may even become a source of healing, a source of help, and a source of beauty. And only God knows what he can do when we bring him the broken pieces. Second thing I want us to notice this morning is it's difficult to develop patience. And as desirable as this trait may be, as that young Christian found out, it's not easy to develop patience. And I, like the, like the older Christian, would say to you this morning, if you really want patience and you really want it developed in your life, for heaven's sakes, don't pray for patience. <laughs> pray, for, pray for the Holy Spirit to be so at work in your heart and in your life that this, as part of the fruit of the Spirit, will be exhibited and experienced in your life day after day, experience after experience. 
Now, why is it difficult to develop patience? For a number of reasons, which I'd like to highlight for you. And this is not all of them, but these are primary. For instance, I think developing patience is difficult because it goes against human nature. It's not human nature to be patient. We are not born patient, are we? See, I'm a very patient person. Well, good for you, but you weren't born that way. Just ask your parents. I mean, look, when a baby wakes up in the middle of the night, picture it. Put yourself there in that crib. Now, really, you don't remember that, but just pretend you can and go back to that night. And it's the middle of the night, and you wake up, and you figure, man, I've been sleeping here, but you know what? I'm not, I can't sleep anymore. I am hungry. Oh, oh, you know what else? My diaper's wet. And you just didn't lie there and think this thought, but oh, hmm. I, know, I know mom and dad are tired. So I'll just be quiet and wait to a more convenient time. And then maybe I'll let them know that I need something to eat or my diaper needs to be changed. No, no, no. That baby cries impatiently and continues to cry and continues to cry. This seems like for hours and hours. Right, parent? Right, parent? Yeah. You, you, you blotted me out like you did the kid, I guess. And, and just cries impatiently and continues to cry until it receives the attention it demands. It doesn't ask for that attention. It demands it. And it's like the, it's like the 400-pound parrot. Probably wants a cracker. Now! And Junior wants something to eat. Now! And Junior wants his diaper changed now. Why? Because we're not born patient. You weren't. I wasn't. Some of us haven't gotten over that. Children aren't very patient. When a child wants something or wants to go somewhere or wants to do a certain activity or wants to be with a certain friend... Parents, have you ever counted how many times they ask? Even after you said no, that'll never happen. Have you ever traveled very far with a child? <laughs> Drove into your yard there, didn't I? Um, I mean, that can be very interesting, shall we say, in and of itself. Hmm? How about that little four-year-old boy? He's traveling with his mom, and he constantly asks the same question over and over and over again. What was the question? Mom, when are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? Finally, the mother got so irritated. You, none of you have ever done that, mothers or fathers, that she said, we still have a hundred miles to go, so don't ask me again when we're going to get there. So the boy was very silent hmm? for a long time, a long time. And then he very timidly asked, Mom, Will I still be four when we get there? 
Or that story told of a boy named Patrick who asked repeatedly for a watch. There's nothing in the world, nothing in life, nothing out there that this kid wanted more than a watch, his own watch. So much so that his parents took him aside, looked him in the eye and said, we forbid you to talk about a watch anymore. If and when it's time for you to have a watch, and if and when it's a situation where we can afford to get you a watch, you will have a watch, but we don't want to talk about it, and we forbid you to ask about it anymore. A couple days later at dinner, he was asked to pray, and everybody bowed their heads, and he said, Family, before I pray... I would like to quote Mark 13, 37. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. <laughs> Amen. Now here's the second reason why developing patience is so difficult. It's because there are weeds of pride and selfishness and anger that can choke out the fruit of patience. Wasn't that many years ago, I don't think it would be maybe 12 years, 15 years, no more, a survey revealed, like we needed a survey to prove this, that we here in America have become an impatient and oftentimes an angry nation. By the way, Christians were included in that survey. They probably led the way. That anger and that impatience we see every day. Even in a small community like this. We see it at work. We see it at school. We definitely see it on the highways. We see it in relationships. I heard about the man's car that had... Installed in heavy traffic, and just as the light turned green, oh, wouldn't that make you sick? And all his frantic efforts to get the car started failed, and a chorus of honking horns behind him made matters worse. Finally, he got out of his car, he walked back to the first driver behind him, and he said, Sir, I'm sorry, so sorry, but I can't seem to get my car started. But I'll tell you what, if you go up there and give it a try, I'll stay here and honk the horn for you. <laughs> Thirdly, patience is difficult to develop because it's contrary to our culture. We don't live in a relaxed culture. Now, some of you have had this great privilege, but any of us who've gone to third world countries, or if you go there today, you'll find a much different lifestyle. They're, let me say in our vernacular, they're more laid back. Yeah? Anybody been to a third world country and would agree with that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They think, well, whatever happens, happens. And I think in some cases, they don't even think about if something happens. <laughs> it's, it, no matter what, it's going to be all right. And I think, honestly, they wonder why we get so uptight, especially about some of the things that we get so uptight about. And here's the reason we do, because we're on a fast track, 
or some people would say we're in a rat race. And I always said, yeah, but even when the race is over, we're still rats. And we're in a world of fast food, quick print, expressways, 10-minute oil changes, instant phone cameras, microwaves, FaceTime, Twitter, Instagram, you name it. There's even a church in Florida that advertises 22-minute church services. That's a lot longer than some of you can handle, (laughs) judging by the traffic here. Go there, and they promise you that in 22 minutes, it'll be all over, and you'll be out of there. The sermons are eight minutes long. Don't get your hopes up. (laughs) It's not going to happen here. No, 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 no. No. We can't even say good morning in eight minutes or whatever they're doing, 22 minutes. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting that we live in this kind of a world, and yet we open our Bible and it says, in the first four pieces of this cluster of fruit, love, joy, peace, patience. Some of you are Calvin and Hobbes uh, comic strip fans. How many like Calvin and Hobbes? All right, I'm starting to run into your, your area of interest now. One of those strips pictured the father sitting at a computer saying, you know, it used to be that if a client wanted something done in a week, that was considered a rush job. He'd be lucky, too, if he got it in that time. And if he did, he'd think, wow, that was quick. Now with modems and faxes and cell phones and scanners, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, everybody wants everything instantly. And in this uh, comic strip, after that was said, Calvin walks by holding a microwave, a, bo- a box of microwave dinner, and he's reading the instructions. And he says, "It takes six minutes to microwave this. Who's got that kind of time?" <laughs> That's a perfect analogy of our society. And I I, I think another reason that patience is difficult to develop is because we have convinced ourselves that impatience is a virtue. So you, you sometimes hear people say, well, I may be impatient, but I can tell you I don't stand around. I get things done. Whoopee. And I guess for the most part, we like those type A personalities, I don't know any, hard-charging people who get things done. And somehow, impatience is seen as a virtue today. But listen to the Bible. In Proverbs 14, 29, we read these words. A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly or foolishness. You go down to Proverbs 15 and read verse 18, and it says this. A hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. Love that. And another verse of Scripture says, Answer not a fool in his folly, lest you become like him. 
Impatience is no virtue, but patience is still a virtue. And again and again and again, the Bible teaches us that we need to develop and have developed this virtue in our lives. A young man was very upset with his mother, and they had disagreed very strongly on something. They had argued and argued and argued. And he had said some things. Did did, did, did you ever say some things? Did you ever text? Some things, texting and Facebook and all that, that's the, that's the new bravery. And, and, and when he went into work that day, he sat down and wrote an angry letter. Giving all the things that he felt were, were wrong with his mother. Very nasty letter. And after sealing the envelope, he handed it to a co-worker to mail it for him. And the co-worker knew what was in the letter and what had prompted it. So he just put it in his pocket. And he thought this. Maybe he'll have second thoughts about it. I can always mail it tomorrow. I'll just hang on to it. Next day came. The fellow went to work and his friend was sitting there. The guy who had written the letter was all forlorn. You could tell this had been bothering him. So his co-worker said, what's up? He said, I wish I'd never written that letter. I, you know what? I'd give $100 to have it back. You know what happened, don't you? Well, at least you think you do. His friend pulled it out of his pocket and said, here it is. Keep your money. Nice story. Hmm? But in real life... We don't get them back. We don't get a do-over, do we? In real life, the words just fly out there. And they continue to wound and to hurt and ultimately destroy again and again and again. That's why there's so much in the New Testament spoken of holding your tongue and putting a guard over your mouth. All I can say in this modern day of technological advance, question mark, God, forgive us. Next thing I want us to consider is how then do we develop patience? And by the way, are you convinced now that we need to develop this virtue of patience? Are you convinced? Are you convinced? This is yes, not nodding like, oh, I'm gone. And this is no. Are you convinced? Yeah, good. Just answer is all you need to do. You keep me happy, and I'll be patient. I don't have to pray for patience. I got you. Are you convinced that this is a virtue that we need to see developed in our lives, every one of us? Yes. Well, you should know that, Bob. I don't know anything unless you tell me. So how do we do it? How does this get done? Well, some suggestions. First suggestion 
And some of these are going to be tougher for some people than others. Some of them won't even apply to some people, and some will apply <laughs> to others, and maybe all of them will apply to somebody. So we catch everybody in the crosshairs here. The first suggestion is the same with every one of these virtues, and that is Galatians 5, and 23. How do we develop love? How do we de- develop joy? How do we develop peace? So how do we develop patience? And the answer is always the same, and it can be encapsulated in three words. Abide in Christ. Jesus says this, and we capture it over in John 15, verse 5. These are his words. He said, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And if a man abides in me, you want to be careful to notice when Jesus uses the word if. If a man or woman abides in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, ooh, you can do Nothing. Nothing. Jesus doesn't deal in abstracts. (laughs) He tells you exactly like it is. Apart from abiding in him, what can we accomplish in life? He said it. So that means it's ultra important to receive the nourishment that only Jesus Christ can give. We cannot produce patience in our own strength unless we're abiding in Christ, unless we're walking in his footsteps, unless we're reading his word, unless we're growing in our prayer life, huh? unless we're spending quality time worshiping and fellowshipping with brothers and sisters in Christ, for the, for the, the vine to produce good fruit, the branches must get the right nourishment. And that's why Paul said, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. There are other things we can do. For example, not only can we abide in Christ, but we can slow down. Does it strike you strange at all that the company that advertises, or at least they used to, You deserve a break today. Is a fast food company? Come on in. Let's see how fast you can take a break today and then get out there on that road again and get going. Matter of fact, we'll just open the window for you. You don't even have to come in. But you deserve a break today. Think of how foolish that is. Our Lord came up with an idea. He called it the Sabbath. It was a day to worship and to rest. Here's how ancient I am. I remember that in our communities here in U.S. and Canada, I can remember when one day a week at least was was reserved 
for worship and for rest. I can even remember when the vast majority of people in the community went to church on Sunday. I'm not saying they were all Christians because I don't believe they were. I don't know. I'm not the judge. But that was just, you did that. I remember certain things you did not do on Sunday. Places you did not go on Sunday. And so the Lord developed a Sabbath, many Sabbaths, as a matter of fact. Why? Because he knew, well, number one, he set the example. And he knew our physical bodies would need it. He knew that our minds would need it. Hello. He knew that our spirits would need it. Amen? Amen? See, it's not enough to come here and get 45 minutes or an hour of teaching or preaching or call it whatever you want to. That's not enough. We need time just to sit and reflect on God and reflect on what God's doing and absorb his teaching. You can do that by taking a walk. You can do that by taking, uh, uh, spending time in the park. You can watch children at play. You can listen to the birds sing if that's your, your thing. And it's a, it's a nice thing. It's a good thing. I'm happy for those who do it. You can read a book. You can plant flowers. You can watch things grow. You can see nature at its best wherever. But you need some time, some time. And that leads me to the third way for us to develop patience. Learn to overlook the little frustrations of life. Learn to overlook the little frustrations of life. Will you say what's on the screen? Would you say that with me? Overlook... The little frustrations of life. Now, put your pointy finger out like that. Don't point it at anybody, but just out there generally, because everybody needs to hear this. And say it again with me. Overlook the little frustrations of life. Now, take your little pointy finger and do this. Yeah, half of them dropped out. (laughs) Overlook the little frustrations of life. I just did that for emphasis. The very respected author and the great Bible scholar, Warren Worsby, and if you've never read any books by Warren Worsby, you you, you ought to. He tells about the time he picked up a hitchhiker. How many know what a hitchhiker was? Oh, gee, I'm surprised. How many of you ever spent much time hitchhiking? Oh, man. Fun times, man. I hitchhiked hundreds of miles, hundreds of miles. Back then... In the ancient days, if you were dressed somewhat neatly and you had a college jacket on and a satchel, you just stand by the road and within 15 minutes you're picked up and you could go, I've seen one ride and go 250 miles. People were trusting, this, a lot of this weird stuff was not going on. And anyway, this is years ago and Mr. Wearsby picked up a hitchhiker who was kind of a... a I don't like to classify people, but he did. He said he was kind of a hippie. How many of you know what a hippie was? We don't have hippies today, thank goodness. Um, No, we don't. 
Because those people, we used to call hippies, are just part of our culture now. So you can't slice it down anyway and say, well, he's a hippie and he isn't. But back then there were hippies. And as they're riding along, they came to a detour that took them off the main road and into this, uh, this uh, twisty, hilly kind of farm market road. And Dr. Worsby said this. He said, I was soon, myself, I was fretting out loud. I was anxious because we're wasting so much time. And it's complaining about all these chuck holes, he called them, in the road that we're being forced to use. And finally, he said the hitchhiker, hippie-type guy leaned over to me and he said, Hey, man, don't sweat the small stuff. You know, that's a good lesson for us to learn. Don't sweat the small stuff. Why? Why? Because it's all small stuff. It's all small stuff. Our biggest stuff is small in God's sight. Don't sweat the small stuff. And there's a book by that title. It's worth your read. Don't sweat the small stuff because it's all small stuff. And also, but you say, Dr. Bob, what about the big things that we're just not capable of dealing with? What about those things that are beyond us? We don't know how to handle them. We don't know where to go next. We don't know what to say. We don't know what to do. We don't know who to involve. It's just too big. It's big, 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 big. And I admit, some people have some big stuff. And, and it's, it's more than one person can handle. What do you do when the big stuff comes along? What do you do when you go to the doctor and he tells you, sit down, I have some news for you. You have a serious illness. What do you do when you lose your job? It wasn't expected. You weren't even thinking about anything like that. Out of the blue, it happened. What do you do when your children disappoint you? What do you do when your spouse says, I'm through, I'm done, I'm leaving, I'm gone? What do you do when life feels nothing but empty? What do you do? The Bible says again that there are some, some things that we just can't handle on our own. And that we are going to never be able to handle or understand them without the help of the Lord. So we accept that and we keep going on. Hmm? It's a beautiful illustration. I, could, I couldn't illustrate this part of the sermon in any way, shape, or form better than this illustration, which I find in the 14th chapter of the book of Exodus. Hey, Moses has led the children of Israel, probably close to two million strong, out of the Egyptian bondage, and they're standing on the banks of the Red Sea. I want you to picture this. Before them is this great body of water. Behind them, they hear the hoofbeats and the chariot wheels of the army of Pharaoh. They are caught between a sea and an army. What do you do, my friend, in a situation like that? Well, they turned and they cried to Moses. 
In verse 13 of Exodus 14, you'll read, Moses, weren't there enough graves in Egypt already? And you led us all the way out here to die in this God-forsaken place? And Moses speaks. Listen when Moses speaks. In verse 13, do not be afraid. (laughs) No, no, we weren't even thinking of that. What a thing to say when someone's shaken in their sandals. I mean, they're petrified. Moses, what have you done? Why, why we deserve this? Why have you brought us out here for no good reason other than to die? The first four words he says are, do not be afraid. Okay. Can you take it a little further, Moses? Yes, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you, I love this next word, today. Not tomorrow, not next week, not six months, not five years, today. The Egyptians, the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. That had to be comforting. That had to put something in their minds and in their hearts to say, hey, I think a miracle is about to take place. I sure hope so. Now listen to verse 14. This is exactly where I wanted to direct you. Exodus 14, 14. This is such an important, incredible, dynamic verse. You need to circle it in your Bible. Moses said, if you mark your Bible up, I don't want you to, to, to disfigure it if you're not in the habit of doing that, but I like to circle things and make X's and squares and stars and all kinds of stuff. Uh, and then I forget why I put it there. But Moses said, the Lord will fight for you. You need only, next three words. Let's all do it together. You need only. Now, let's say it convincingly. I mean, forcefully. You need only to be still. Wow. Whew. Wow. 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 It is critical, folks. If you don't hear anything else, please hear this. That we be still when the big stuff comes and wait on the Lord. When it comes to that big stuff, remember this, because our God can handle it. I said, our God can handle it. I said, our God can handle it. I said, it doesn't matter what it is. Our God can handle it. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't remind you that in all of this, Jesus is the perfect example of patience. I want to turn to him. I want to look at him. I want to lift him up as your, as your perfect example of patience. And so doing, I want you to go to the book of Matthew, and in the 26th chapter, I want you to see Jesus coming into the Garden of Gethsemane. He leaves the rest of the disciples where they were, right by the gate. And he takes the inner circle. He says, Peter, James, John, you come with me. And so he takes them. And they go into what we might call the inner recesses of the garden. And here's what he says to them in verse 38. Matthew 26. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow 
to the point of death. Stay here. Stay here and keep watch with me. What an urgent plea that is. Then Jesus went on a little farther by himself and he prayed. In Luke 22, you'll see this, especially in verse 44. And we hear him say this, being in anguish. Now he prayed more earnestly. And Luke could describe this being a physician. He said his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Then when Jesus came back, he found Peter and James and John found asleep. I want to ask you something. How would you have reacted to that? Asking someone to just plain stand guard, say some prayer, be vigilant. When you were in the most trying moments of your earthly life, nothing to compare to it, nothing. And you come back and you are in such anguish. And then you come back and you find this person or these people that you had just commissioned to do that, just laid out, sound asleep. What would you have done? How would you react? What's your heart feel right now about this story? I bet you have emotions in your heart or in your head right now. Here, Jesus is experiencing the most terrible night of his life on this earth, and they fell asleep. Not once, the Bible says. Not twice, the Bible says. But three times. Now you would have blown your gasket, right? That would have been it. I'd have been completely unusable after the first time, let alone the second and third. And yet Jesus treats them with love and with kindness and with patience. In all the stuff I've ever read, I think Evelyn Christensen's piece, this beautiful piece that she wrote, strikes me better and more graphically than any. Could I read it for you? Quote, I wept, she said, as a cardiologist described for me Jesus' drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. Maybe you've wondered about this yourself. Before he was betrayed and then subsequently arrested. Medical science reports, and has since proven, that only when humans are under very rare and extremely grave stress do their blood vessels break and mix with the sweat that's in their sweat glands. Evelyn Christensen continues, I grieved at how Jesus' disciples could sleep when he kept appearing to them and appealing to them with blood coming out of his forehead. Since the skin becomes so sensitive when it sweats blood that touching it would be almost, wouldn't it just be unbearable and intolerable, you would think? And she said, then I further cringed at how my precious Jesus could stand to have that ugly crown of thorns thrust into that tender brow. 
all the time wearing it for me, wearing it for us, and the scourging and the mocking and the spitting for us. Thus ends her quote. There's one more verse of scripture I want us to camp out on for just a few minutes. And I want to take you over to 2 Peter chapter 3. And down in verse 9 it says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I just wonder... Have you ever stopped and wondered why God has not intervened? Why doesn't God send a lightning bolt to this earth that will just shake it out? Have you ever wondered, really, seriously? Especially in the midst of our evil days. Why, why doesn't God just knock evildoers off the face of the earth? Why, why doesn't he just get rid of them? I mean, why do, where is God? This is a question being asked. Why doesn't God intervene? There's so much injustice running rampant all around us. Why doesn't God intervene? You ask the question, I'm going to provide the answer. One reason is this. Our God is patient. You don't believe that? Read the history of Israel. You don't believe that? Read the story of Abraham. You don't believe that? Read the story of Jonah. Our God is patient. And he wants everybody to be saved. To come into the ark of safety. Every day that he waits, listen, is just one more day for people to repent and come to him through faith in Jesus Christ. So on a strictly personal note, if you have not come to Jesus, one of the reasons he may be holding back his judgment on the world, I don't know, is because you have not come yet. And you who he has created, he wants you as his eternal child. And more than anything, he wants you to come to him. He wants you to take your first wonderful step toward your Savior and Lord. My friend, the door of salvation is open because the Lord our God is patient. The door to Jesus is open because the Lord is patient. Right now, the opportunity, opportunity for us to be saved from our sins is still available. Why? Why? Why, Bob? Why doesn't he just close that door? Because our Lord is patient. He is the perfect example of patience. So as a church this morning, and as ambassadors of the gospel, we extend the invitation of Jesus. And we pray that you will respond to him today. Respond to what the Lord has offered you through Jesus. 
Will you come to him? And will you do it now? Let's be quiet before the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for the privilege and the pleasure of living in a land where we can open your word and we can interface with truth. Thank you that it was Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you it was Jesus who set the perfect example of love, joy, peace, and yes, patience. And Lord, if there even be one here today who has never made that eternal decision to accept Jesus Christ as personal Savior and to know the joy of sins forgiven and, and, and Lord, the, the future in front of that person will be so enlightened. It will be so wonderful. It will be so eternal. It will be so heaven-bound. God, then I pray that person would say yes to you now because you've been patient and you've been long-suffering and you've waited. And now that person is coming and saying, you need wait no longer. I'm taking steps to you, dear Savior. And so, Father, we pray it to be true. And if there are those here today who've been touched by some element of what's been said, anything at all, may you work in their hearts to bring about this all-important virtue, the virtue that Paul speaks of as patience. And if you're here today and you've made a spiritual decision, or you're in the throes of making a decision, or you want to talk to someone about your decision or your place in your spiritual life, I would like for you to take one of the connect cards that you'll find in the seat pocket, probably right in front of you. And there's a place to put your name. We don't need all of the other information just today. But just that where it says, today I became a follower of Jesus Christ. I'd like to know more about my next steps. Or I'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus. Or I'm interested in knowing more. I'd like for you to just fill that much out and leave it with me or Pastor Todd before you leave today. And we'll be sure to spend time with you to bring you into that next step, into that journey that you'll never take alone. And so we thank God for his goodness. And we thank God for his patience. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Come.